Hi, this is Timothy Zahn, author of Thrawn, and you're listening to Execute Chapter 66. Hello and welcome. No, well, I was ready. Sorry. I should go back to counting it down, shouldn't I? (laughs) Go ahead. Normally they're silent and I just start. Hello and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we discuss canon, legends, and beyond. Tonight we'll be talking about Tempest Runner, the new uh, audio play, audio drama by Kevin Scott. My name is Beth Van Dusen, and of course, with me as always are Ryan Schwick and Chad J. Schonk. Over to you, Chad. This is your reminder that this is a book club and not a review show. We are going to spoil this play. Over the course of our conversation, we may also spoil anything else Star Wars. Actual books, comics, video games, whatever comes to it. In fact, Star Wars Vision started to uh, came online today, and we've watched that too. We may spoil that. Who the hell knows? So that has been your spoiler warning. Ryan, what say the Holonet? Not a ton of huge news. <laughs> There's been some updates on Disney Plus, mostly. They have announced over the next few years, which they were not clear on it, but people assume, you know, next few. Usually they talk in three to four year kind of segments. There will be 11 new Star Wars shows on Disney Plus. Now that includes the seven we know about. So we know seven. There are, therefore, four we have no idea. So, of course, let the games begin on guessing. (laughs) Um, People assume one is Aphra. I think that's a pretty safe bet. Um, But past that, who knows? Um, You know, if they do go through with a Finn show or wherever they go from there, we will see. 11. Is that including things like gallery or animated things, too? Could that be another animated show as well? Maybe. And they may be like... You know, Vision season two hasn't been officially announced, but, but that one could of the be other, one of them. Yeah. Well, and one of the other things they said is Visions has outperformed what they thought it was going to. It's because it's dope. One thing they said about it is apparently people are rewatching it a lot, which is a big metric for them. I've watched it twice. Yeah, I've watched it twice too. So that's cool. Uh, they released the poster for Book of Boba Fett and announced the official dates December 29th. You know, it's him sitting on a chair. They kind of saved money on the poster, didn't they? Didn't they just clip yeah. it from the season finale of The Mandalorian? Yeah, pretty much. They were like, yeah, here you go. Not too exciting. There was definitely no Cad Bane on that poster, which there should have been. Yeah. Uh, That's let's the see. part I'm most excited about. What else? Uh, Andor and Wait, do we know that for sure? Do we know that for sure? Well, no, we're just guessing. Oh, but. okay. All right. Okay. Sorry. Andor and Obi-Wan are both done filming. So, you know, those are coming... Sooner than later. What else have they said about the old Disney Plus? Oh, they have started recording the voices for season two of Bad Batch. So they're moving pretty quickly with that. Over on the video game side, this is a kind of a weird decision, I thought. So on November, I think it was 13th, they're going to release KOTOR on the Switch. But it's like regular old KOTOR. And right. then they followed up by saying, yeah, and they're totally going to port the remaster of it to the Switch, too. So I don't really know why they're doing that. If you buy the crappy version, do you get the upgrade for free? Not that they have said. 
Well, that's just crazy. Why would you buy the old one? Two years is a long time, Beth. (laughs) Uh, In our final Disney Plus news, which was, I think, kind of a downer. Did y'all see what Lucy Lawless came out and talked about? Yeah. So Lucy Lawless was apparently in talks to be on one of the Star Wars shows. And it was being looked at. And then when all the stuff happened with Gina and people were doing the campaign to hire Lawless to replace her as Cara Dune, it killed all the momentum for it. Right. Disney pulled away, which that sucks. Like Lucy's awesome. Yeah. If anybody wants to get a full dose of Lucy Lawless, watch some Spartacus blood and sand. Anybody Mm -hmm. that show was amazing. She was also great on uh, Ash versus the evil dead. Oh yeah, she was. Yeah, She was really good on that. Mm -hmm. And then finally on over on our collecting side, Black Series did another lame repaint of one of the clone troopers. They did the artillery trooper this time. I'm sorry, stormtrooper. They did an artillery stormtrooper from Mandalorian. The yellow, and he comes with a little launcher. I'm getting about sick of repaints. On the good side of toys, they did announce since last we talked, they are doing a Boba Fett from the droids cartoon. Um, So he's kind of that light blue kind of gray Boba Fett and it comes in like a droids box and then on the vintage scale they released R2 and C-3PO and a Boba Fett I believe and the package looks great on them um, and those went out for pre-order and they sold out pretty fast and we mentioned the George figure before that was next the George oh, sorry figure. sorry so yeah. my theory is they put out the Trapper Wolf figure and everybody got super excited to get a Dave Filoni figure. And then somebody got little feelings hurt. And so now <laughs> we're getting a Stormtrooper Lucas figure and they were like, eh, make a Lucas head real fast and pop it on. I still say he's a little short to be a Stormtrooper. We ordered it, didn't we? Yeah, I totally ordered it. Yeah, I almost didn't though. And then I was thinking about it and I was like, man, what state are we in where I'm all in on my Dave Filoni figure? And then I saw a George Lucas figure and I was like, eh, I guess I got to get that. I would <laughs> rather have been him wearing like a flannel shirt and stuff. <laughs> if you're going to make me figures of these guys, make me figures of these guys. <laughs> you know, it's like they have those um, Funko Pops have those like directors and stuff. Oh, yeah. Have you, ever, have you seen those? I have a Vince Gilligan Funko Pop. Mm hmm. They've made one. I know there's a J.J. Abrams one. So like they've they've done them for like filmmakers, you know, so they could they could make black series of the fig uh, filmmakers. I mean, mm-hmm. I would buy them. Nobody else would. We get a Lawrence Kasdan, mm-hmm. a John Williams, maybe a Ben Burt for a deep cut. You know, mm-hmm. could do could do some of that. I don't think Marsha Lucas would give her approval. <laughs> it sounds like I'd buy a Rain Johnson figure and then have the rest of my figures beating him up. <laughs> I bet John Dykstra would love an action figure of himself. Yeah. And then in our final figure rumor, it was not even, it's not even a rumor. We know it's going to happen. It's just how it's going to happen. That's going to be disappointing. So Amazon put up a placeholder page for a Black Series figure. And I think it was listed as like Trooper something, something, something. But if you go into the description, it says Holiday Wookie. <laughs> <laughs> And so that yeah. means that that's what the figure actually is, is that there's going to be some sort of holiday Wookiee. Now, what everybody wants, obviously, is Chewbacca in his red blanket costume from the holiday special. <laughs> Good God, yes. Be amazing. What it actually probably is going to be is like the holiday figures they did last year. Where they I just, don't believe it. 
Put a Santa hat on. It's probably gonna be like Chewbacca with a Santa hat on. I refuse to believe it. I want Chewie in his his uh, his like sister act gown. <laughs> if they put that figure out, it will be the best thing ever. It go right next to my Jackson. Oh, but he needs to come with Lumpy. I doubt it. It says Wookie. It doesn't say Chewbacca. All right. It could be Lumpy. Deluxe figure. <laughs> you know what? If they did a Black Series six inch Nala Chewie. And lumpy in their life ge- life day gear, it would sell out. I just want the package to say Star Wars B Arthur. <laughs> I'll be like, hey, <laughs> just a, a slightly inebriated Leia. I could get all sorts <laughs> of fun figures from that series. I well, but the Leia's got to have a drawstring because she's got to be able to sing. Because I, I was showing somebody that had never seen the holiday special. I'm like, I know everyone talks about the cartoon. I was like, this is the one moment you have to see. And <laughs> it's when Carrie Fisher sings. <laughs> you carry but it was so it's so crazy and just a final figure note if you are listening to this episode before october 22nd that will be PulseCon, which is where they announce a whole lot of figures and generally things go up for sale pretty fast we know that's the date trapper wolf will go on sale um most likely the rancor will go up that day mm. and be announced that's the has lab thing right yep and then they'll show what's coming up soon. So that's always really good. And you can usually get some decent stuff out of that. Can you just watch that on their like YouTube channel or something? Or? Yep. Yep. It's on YouTube. If, and if you go on their uh, Hasbro Pulse Facebook page, there's links to it or the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. Um, and the way they kind of do PulseCon, they'll put out a schedule so it'll be like 9 to 10 is Marvel Legends, 11 to 12 is Star Wars Black, and then Power Rangers and all that stuff. And Pulse has been really good about during PulseCon, the minute that segment ends. So if Star Wars is from 10 to 11, at 11, the figures will go up on Pulse, Amazon, and the other major retailers. It's pretty intense. It's Yeah, it, it gets to be a little crazy. Last year... Let's see. Last year's Star Wars was the Cad Bane with Toto. And that was not too bad to get if you were a premium member because you get early access. So we'll see. They Hasbro has been much better lately about making enough figures for everybody to get. They're really trying to cut down on scalping. How scarce it is and some of the scalping. And they've been pretty good about putting some stuff out. Toto, they Toto was hard. Now they put out Cad Bane without Toto, and he was pretty easy. I pre-ordered the new Cad Bane without Toto, yeah. Yeah, but that Toto in that box looks so good. And that armor was a previous one, the armor that's got the uh, tools that are the translucent orange, and she has the fur cape. So that one's really nice, too. Yeah. Yeah, so that's all our news for this week. What's going on in the world of the funny pages? Not a lot. 
Um, September was one of those dreaded. I have a couple of friends who ran a comic book store. Their least favorite, what they hated more than anything, were the the months that had five Wednesdays because mm-hmm. it always screws up everything and and uh, books get kind of spread out over those last couple of weeks of the month. And they they're very dry days for comic retailers. That fifth Wednesday of the month. Um, but we have two that's come out since we last talked. We have Star Wars number seventeen by Charles Sewell and uh, Ramon Rosanas. It continues from the last Darth Vader issue about the dogfight between Luke and Vader. So I love Sewell, but uh, I'm not a fan of how bloodthirsty Vader is in this. Like he seems real like hard on to kill Luke. And that to me doesn't vibe with his attitude at the end of Empire or his attitude in Jedi. It's kind of weird. It's like Vader's like literally trying to kill him. And it feels I don't know, like we've talked about before, this stuff doesn't necessarily felt like it actually happened in between the movies. Mm-hmm. And then uh, High Republic Adventures number nine by Daniel Older and Tony Bruno tells the backstory of a young Padawan named Court who was apparently left at Maz Kanata's doorstep when he was a baby. The issue has a lot of Maz and a lot of Takudana. And I actually thought it was pretty strong. It was a good little issue, but we're getting because of Maz is what being a thousand years old. Now she's being pulled into old Republic too. And that's all that came out. Okay. I, th- I just threw my notes over my shoulder. Like I was David Letterman. And um, I realized that I still needed my notes. <laughs> So the audio story we listened to tonight, Tempest Runner, one thing that we noticed in it, um, the lead character, Lorna D, is a Twi'lek. But there's a lot, I would say, of um, racial slurs in this book, if that makes... Does that sound right? Or or people are always yelling at each other by their race name in this book. I have never heard them referred to as wormheads before. That's rude. Mm. Yeah, like they they came up with a racial slur for Twi'leks. Everyone would talk to each other like, hey, the Gamorrean over there. And so we thought we something we hadn't come up, we hadn't talked about before was like, what are our favorite Star Wars races or, or sentient species? I guess we'll call them. Um, just what are the ones that we like, whether it's the society, whether it's just certain characters that remind us of them or whether it's just we think they look cool because a lot of them look cool. So we just thought we'd do a little roundtable real quick and then we'll get on to the story itself. Um, Beth. <sighs> All right. Uh, the first thing I thought of was one that just looked cool, but then I decided I thought about it more and was like, okay, so really, actually, species I like uh, would be the first one would be Tegruda. I'll check that one off my list. Matriarchal Society, which we get a lot of in the book that we're about to talk about, but uh, they are also very into their planet. They were not a republic world for a very long time, which in the era we're in, we actually get to see them start to become a part of the Republic, but they're so into their world that they walk around barefoot all the time. We, of course, know that there are a lot of awesome Togruta Jedi, like Joramali, uh, Shakti, and of course, Ahsoka Tano. Okay, I was waiting for it. <laughs> I mean, it was between that and one that I, I assume that one of you guys are going to take. So I decided to steal Togruta before anybody else got to it. I like that they have the, the Mon- I like the Montrals, plus they have the Leku. So it does feel like they're kind of tied to other species, but not directly. I wouldn't have mentioned them if it wasn't for High Republic, though. No, I don't think Ahsoka and Shakti are enough alone. Yeah. But I, I did like meeting them in the High Republic and 
kind of learning more about them. And once I learned more about them, I was like, yeah, Togruta are kind of awesome. They were kind of the Vulcans of the High Republic. Yeah. Um, And I thought that was really cool. And this mystique around their society. Uh, Yeah, they were definitely on my list. All right, Ryan, who'd you come up with? So I will say I pretty much did these straight by ones I like visual wise, not necessarily characters. Well, except for one. The first one I picked was the, and I always say this one wrong, but the uh, Deveronians. Space Satan. On my list. Space Satan. A whole species. Mm-hmm. You got, you know, Lavria, who's in the cantina. You got Berg and Mandalorian. They're just one I always like because they're so creepy looking. And legit, you know, they were just like, you know, we need in this scene the devil. The devil. <laughs> yeah. And he's the devil. I just like the design. I wish there was more of them. And we got some of them in Clone Wars, too. 100% agree. It was on my short list. They all looked like the cover of like a monster magnet album. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My first pick, I'm going to go with Zabrex. Also on my short list. The first Zabrex we ever saw was Darth Maul. Back then in the Expanded Universe, they were from the planet Iridonia. Then on the Clone Wars cartoon, we found out, I think we all found out for the first time, that Darth Maul was from Dathomir. And they had to create this entirely new kind of idea that the Dathomirian Zabrax were descended from the Iridonian Zabrax, but they were kind of different cultures and all that stuff. They're just cool looking. Zabrex, of course, includes all the Night Sisters and Brothers, and obviously Maul and Savage Press. It really comes down to the visual of Maul. Uh, I have found uh, myself becoming a huge fan of just Dathomir in general because of Clone Wars. I really liked Dathomir until I went there in Fallen Order, and now I don't like Dathomir anymore, but I still like Zabrax. It's real rough. And Jasmari. Like the only oh, character right, I cared about yes. from Aftermath. That's right. Jazz is also a Zabrak. That's right. Beth, you got one more? I do. I'm going to go on my my first pick that I was going for just looks. And that's a Shistavanen, which is just like a wolf man. <laughs> just a little wolf man. <laughs> just a wolf man. And, and in uh, A New Hope, it's not even a very good wolf mask. It's real bad if you go back and look at it. You're not wrong. <laughs> they j- but they just look cool otherwise. Um, it's just a wolf man. They went no further with it originally than it's a gun wolf mask. It's it's Wolfman in space. I don't need any anything else. I don't need an explanation. Wolfman in space. All right. So for my next one, um, I chose the Keldors from the planet Doran. The uh, Keldors. <laughs> the Keldors are really cool because uh-huh. their um, history with the Force. It's kind of like the Chiss. For a long time, all they did they had these guys called the Baron Dosages. And they advise like the royalty of Doran, and they had only weather prediction powers in the beginning. But later, with the Jedi's help, they started to become Jedi. And I think there was one famous Keldor. Hmm. Me, <laughs> I wonder who that is. Let me look. Uh, let's see. So we have. Oh, it's Plukoon! <laughs> I don't believe in chance, Commander. I know if we work together, we will stay alive, and someone will find us. With uh, all due respect, General, strategically, it doesn't make any sense for someone to come look for us. If I was in command, I'd be hunting that weapon down. I value your life more than finding that weapon. (laughs) (laughs) Look, the Kelvers look awesome. They have that sweet breathing mask, and when they, they don't have their breathing mask, Look, it's PG-13, right? They have like a vagina on their face. <laughs> you look at yeah. it. With, with yeah, that yeah. On. They look like a weird uh, 
what's his name? The Predator. <laughs> they look like the Predator. And then they wear that sweet mask. So the Kaldors are awesome. <laughs> Not a surprising pick at all. I don't know. Nope. I don't know why I didn't even I don't know why I didn't see that coming. I don't know why it wasn't your first one. <laughs> but see, you gotta set it up. Uh, okay. All right. I'm gonna go basic, real basic, um, because I like the culture and I'm gonna pick Rodians. I know everybody hates Greedo and he will, he should be, he's a little punk. But the Rodians have this really great history where they, they grew up in the originally Rodia was this very savage land full of these huge monsters. And the, the Rodians, in order to survive, they had to learn become a, a race of hunters. And then eventually they hunted those monsters out of existence. But it became so ingrained in their being that they're hunters, they ended up so many of them ended up leaving the planet and becoming bounty hunters, soldiers, warriors, because of that uh that need for the for the kill, for the chase, for the hunt. A society of Craven the Hunters for comic book nerds. They come in a whole lot of different colors, <laughs> uh, which I like. Um, I like the ones that are kind of turquoisey or tealish. I like those a lot. And let's not forget some of the greatest, the the greatest Rodian of all time. Uh, what was his name? <laughs> uh, are you talking about Wald? Wald. There you go. <laughs> Wald and his sweet, sweet dance moves. <laughs> Yeah, Wald, uh, Anakin's little buddy, Wald, mm-hmm. and, and Greedo, and, and in, in the and in, in other material, there's been Rodian Jedi and all sorts of other things and some cool characters. But I'm a big fan of Rodians. Um, were there, are there any? What, what do you think is the worst alien in Star Wars? What do you think is the worst one? We could talk about other ones we like. We can go down on honorable mentions, but I want to know what do you think is the worst one? Because I have a, I have a, I have an idea. I think for me, there's probably two. When you say like, who is the one you're just like? Oh, come on. It would either be the Tordarians, and that has a lot to do with Watto and the racist undertones. So. Yeah. But I think, again, that's what I think those are the two, like Tordarians and the, uh, the Nematoid, Nematodians, like. Nemoidians. Nemoidians, yeah. yeah My choice was the Nemoidians. Yeah. Yeah. It's like. I don't think it's on purpose, but that doesn't mean it's not racist. <laughs> I knew it. They're here to force a settlement. Distract them. I will contact Lord Sidious. Are you brain dead? I'm not going in there with two Jedi. Send a droid. See, yeah. I, I didn't initially think racist ones. I just thought terrible species, and I thought Bothans suck at being spies. Why do so many of you die to get information, and we never see you guys? Mm-hmm. Like, you're all dead from trying to get information. You guys suck at this. I think they're actually great spies. That's why you don't see them. Nemoidians to me, like, listen, Jar Jar's bad and Gungans are bad, but Nemoidians to me represent just a little bit of the tone deafness that Lucas displayed in that movie. There's so much space racism in the prequels. Really just in Phantom Menace. It yeah. doesn't really, it's really just Phantom Menace where he was trying to create these new society. Like, it, it just doesn't, it, he didn't sit down, he didn't tell his people make the Nemoidians talk like generic Japanese people. It just ended up that way, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, and, and, and they didn't, they, no one stopped it. That's the thing. I can understand how these things happen. I don't understand why no one stops them and goes, Hey boss, you know, like maybe we could, cause I've seen uh, fan edits. They're real simple where they just scramble their voices and subtitle them and it works perfectly. But how do you accidentally make a species a Japanese stereotype? How's that an accident? 
I think it was in one of the books or it might have been in the making of documentary. They actually talk about the development of the Neimoidian accent and like how they tried what they tried to simulate. There there actually was like a thought process behind it because they're trying to create an accent for someone who doesn't speak basic well. Mm-hmm. And that's going to end up and because basic is represented by English, that will inevitably end up sounding like a pigeon version of English by some ethnic group. <laughs> My lord. Is that legal? I will make it legal. And the Jedi? The Chancellor should never have brought them into this. Kill them immediately. Yes, yes, my lord. Uh, as you wish. Like, I just think it just kind of, that's the, the, like, it's hard to come up with an accent that's not real in yeah. that case. Um, or, or at least close to it. You know, they're not exactly Chinese. They're not exactly Japanese. They're just kind of generically Asian. But um, I just think they're just trying to create someone who doesn't speak English well. And what's funny about them, if you watch other language versions of the prequel trilogy, I highly recommend looking these up because they're pretty funny. In the German version, they speak with a French accent. <laughs> and then in French and Spanish and Italian, it sounds Russian. Like, really? It's so weird. Yeah. Um, were there any others you wanted to throw out there before we move on? I had just assumed that the Chiss went without saying that that was like the best species. So that's why I didn't bring them up. I wrote down the Chiss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I wrote down um, the Sakians. We've only ever really seen one Sakian on screen, but he's that guy, uh, Dijas Purr. He was in the uh, cantina. He's the one that's like jet black. Oh, yeah, yeah. That guy that's like jet black. I just think he looks cool. That's all. Because yeah. <laughs> he's like this jet black guy. It has nothing to do with it. I didn't bother looking up anything about his race. I just, I just, it's just that he looks cool. I was torn between uh, the Rhodians and Trandoshans because, you know, Trandoshans are also pretty badass culture and, and hunter species. And Skier is, has gone through and grown a new arm and stuff. That's pretty that's pretty awesome. He's still in trouble, though. He's, <laughs> he's still, still in trouble. Oh, Lord, he's in trouble. <laughs> Stop. Um, I was like seeing the Gagorans. I just like the design. Yeah. I do, too. I mean, they don't like have any lines or anything, but just seeing them like waddle kind of behind. They just look great. Am I wrong in thinking the Dugs look kind of cool? I When I was thinking about that, I kind of thought that too. The Dugs do look kind of cool. I mean, I don't even mind Sebulba, really. It's just yeah. coming from the movie. But uh, I don't mind the Dugs. And I like when they do a non-humanoid. Like, I don't... Yes. There needs to be more non-humanoid. Yeah, I mean, I wrote down Huts because they are just kind of different from what we have. The Ubies, you know, uh, Balshus people. Mm-hmm. They were in Legends. They were a very kind of mysterious group that no one knew where they actually came from, you know. And uh, so there was a whole mythology around the Ubies. Now, has the Bausch... I know they have announced there's going to be, I think, a one-shot comic with Bausch. Has that... Has that... Has it come out yet, then, I guess? No, his not. Yeah, and apparently it is... It's Bausch-Bausch. Like, it's not going to be Leia. I don't know how they're sticking to it, but they've already told the how Leia got the armor right. in on Forces of Destiny. Yep. On the cartoon. I don't know if they're going to stick to that, but I mean, those are all voiced by, you know, real, you know, all the, all the actors and everything. I mean, that was an official thing. I also wrote down amongst the worst, the Dresselins, Dresselians, prune face. Oh, I, I think it's Dres- Dresselian. Dresselian. I just can't do it. Just can't do it. I just can't handle the prune faces. <laughs> and I like Ethorians too. I, I do like Athorians. I was going to mention that that I do. I like the design. They talk out of the side of their necks. I like the Bendu. Like, I yeah, the like, Bendu are pretty cool. Yeah, I could see some more Bendu. What What about the Grisk? 
Mm. Don't know yet. <laughs> Still no don't know idea. Yet. <laughs> As we wrap it up, I think it would be completely remiss not to mention that the wikis are awesome. Yeah. I mean, again, like the Chiss, I think that just, that's a given. Good luck. I'm going to go pee. So tonight we are talking about the audio drama Tempest Runner by Kevin Scott. It is a High Republic story. The galaxy mourns. The villainous Nihil have struck, killing thousands at the Republic Fair on Valo and unleashing the monstrous Drengear on the galaxy. In the wake of the atrocity, Chancellor Lena So has tasked the Jedi with leading the response against the Nihil. With the Dren gear destroyed. Uh, now, that has happened in the comics. So thanks for spoiling it, Gavin. Um, a quote from the most recent High Republic comic. While the attack on Vala was underway, Marshal Avar Chris was leading the charge against the insidious Dren gear. But the Dren gear blight was a feint to keep the Jedi of Starlight Beacon from rushing to Valo's aid. Nihil leader Martian Rowe orders his forces to scatter among the stars, safe in the knowledge that the Jedi don't even know he exists. Instead, the Jedi believe that Twi'lek Tempest runner Lorna D is the malevolent eye of the Nihil. Now, the hunter has become the hunted, with D on the run from both Jedi and Republic forces. She will not go down without a fight. Warning, this drama jumps around a lot in time, and there is no synopsis online to help me work my way through it, so I'm going to do my best. This is going to be messy, and it's going to be long. On the planet Thran, a guy who talks like Jason Statham wanders into a cantina and meets a large mysterious person with a partially synthesized voice who is 100% not Pan Eta. Statham tells not Pan Eta about a job he has, a jailbreak, to rescue Lorna D from a prison. Wait a minute, Lorna's in prison? Not the last time I checked. There better be a flashback coming up to tell me how that happened. Oh boy, will there be flashbacks. Then we cut away and we meet two poor doomed Republic pilot bros who run into each other on the Starlight Beacon. They are there to receive a briefing on something called Operation Counter-Strike. The briefing is given by Avar Chris. One of the pilots is a little hot for her, actually. And she addresses the Republic defense personnel and a few assembled Jedi. She tells us it's been three months since Valo and the destruction of the Drengear, which we already were told in the prologue, so that seemed redundant. Just like me telling you again now is redundant. She gives a rundown of the current situation, Counter-Strike, and the Jedi attempt to track down and root out any remaining Nihil. Their big target, though, is the person they believe is the Eye, the Twi'lek known as... Then we cut back to the cantina, in mid-sentence, where Not Pan pretends to not know who Lorna D is. Our two tough guys are getting along just fine, drinking bad liquor and being very loose-lipped about the structure of the Nihil. So, like, Jason Statham acts as the narrator for part one of the book. There are, there are eight parts. And a cutting back and forth for this entire chapter because he was there when some of it happened. Of course, there is no way in hell he could know 85% of the story that he's telling, especially the stuff from the Jedi point of view, but that's how we are. Speaking of which, boom, back to Avar. Chris explains what a Tempest Runner is, and then back to the cantina. And can I just say this is way too early in an audio drama to be doing this shit. Big mysterious guy says a few cryptic things about Pan, who he most certainly is not, and discusses Lorna and her role in Pan's death, because Pan is dead, you see, got it? Pan is dead. Back to Avar 
for a, a second and then back to the cantina. Is the cantina meeting between these two Nihil a coincidence or did one of them set it up? I've listened to this thing twice and I'm not sure. And maybe as I go through this, I'll figure it out. But I'm not sure how that meeting happened or if it was just one of those Star Wars coinky dinks. Then we cut to Lorna D's ship called the Lorna D. When she is about to conduct a raid on some kind of relay station or something. She's real mean to her staff, by the way. A very toxic work environment. Um, once they start the raid, though, the planet defenses reach out to Starlight Beacon and the Jedi are on their way. Lorna has a talk with Marshawn Rowe, who sounds like he's being played by Crispin Glover in this audio drama. We have an incoming communication. They can wait. Oh, it's from the gaze electric. It's the eye. Damn it. Why now? Put him through. Connecting. Whoa. Lorna, what is your status? Busy. What's yours? We are losing the signal. Shame. Lorna, respond. Do you read what is your status? And then continues her raid. We follow our two Republic pilot idiots as they jump into hyperspace along with the Jedi, ready to save the mother fracking day. The Jedi Force arrives in system with orders to disable the Lorna D and not destroy it and to wreck their day. Roe refuses to send reinforcements and kind of leaves her and her storm to die. It must be her density. So there's a battle, which is well-produced, and the Nihil nearly take the station, but are foiled by a few Jedi, including Keeve Trennis and the one-armed Trandoshan Master Skier, who is still not doing very well. Skier to Ataraxia. The relay post is secure, Marshal. Force be praised. What of casualties? Nihil or Republic? Both, Master Skier. The Nihil didn't go quietly. For Criff's sake, Skier. With things going poorly, Lorna launches a bunch of scavenger droids at the station with the intent of ripping it apart. And then we go back to Jason Statham. Again. He explains to certainly not Pan how the Jedi got out of this particular mess. Of course, I don't know how he would know that. But then, wait for it, we go back to the battle. With a desperate and losing Lorna on the bridge of her ship. Eventually, Chris shows up and blows the shit out of the Lorna D, disabling the, imp, the hyperdrive and keeping them from jumping to hyperspace. Anyway, there's some Jedi high adventure while they attempt to rescue the station, and Lorna is eventually captured by Skier, but they don't know who they have in custody. Lorna D, the Eye, they think, Lorna D, the Tempest Runner, is assumed dead. Actually, she fakes her death. The real Lorna tells them her name is Sal Crossed, and she ends up in a hospital on Starlight Beacon. We wrap up this section of the book with how dare you assume this guy is Pan, getting all the info he can from Statham. Whatever she calls herself, whatever lies she tells the Jedi, she only ever thinks about herself, only cares about herself. You, 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 you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know her. Oh, I do. I've known her a long time. <coughs> and unlike certain people... I know when I've had enough to drink. What? Time to pay the tab. And then shooting him. Then he shoots the bartender too. He tells the dying Nihil that You're not the only one looking for her. <laughs> that was only part one. So Lorna and Teja are in Republic custody on Starlight. I forgot to mention Teja. Teja it was on Lorna's bridge crew and has therefore seen Lorna without her mask. 
So she's the only person who can identify her to the Republic in exchange for some kind of deal if she wanted to. Teja will hold this over Lorna's head for the entire book. Lorna meets with a new Republic security agent who at one point asks Lorna who they were before joining the Nihil, launching our second flashback framing device of the book where we learn about Lorna's youth. My eyes kind of glazed over during this young Lorna stuff. It involves her and a love interest named Bala trying to mine spice on her home planet of Aeloth, which seems like it's a Ryloth suburb or something. Uh, she's like a princess or a duchess or just a rich kid or something. Her father's very important. Zygarian slavers are involved, as is a spider that poops out glimmer stem. Her father is not very approving of dealing in spice, which leads to Lor- Lorna totally betraying her family. And then her boyfriend totally betrays her and totally executes said family and then takes over the planet and sells her off to Zygarian slavers. Totally. Then we're back in the present, and Teja and Lorna have been sent off to the prison ship Restitution. This is the part of the book that I will lovingly call Orange is the New Black series. It crosscuts between Lorna's time on the Restitution, which is like a touchy-feely kind of Montessori prison, and her time as a slave to the Zygerians and how she got out of that and joined the Nihil. There is a lot here, and it's hard to lay it all out, especially from an audio story, especially from an audio story that goes back and forth, back and forth from present day to flashback as the structure of the entire story. So I'm going to lay out the highlights in chronological order. So in the past, so this section is all the things that happened before the events of Light of the Jedi. We learned that life in the Zygerian custody sucks for Lorna, but she does end up making a friend. But then the Republic raids the Zygerian camp and there's a slave revolt to take advantage of it. And Lorna is almost killed by one of the guards, but her friend takes the bolts instead. Lorna is then found and rescued by a Jedi and his Padawan. Instead of returning Lorna to Aeloth, the Jedi enlist her into the Karita Military Academy. There she takes the name Anon, which is the, was the name of her dead brother. Then we get a full metal jacket sequence where we watch her go from rookie scrub to model soldier. While still a rookie... And this is probably my favorite moment in the book. (laughs) She was doing maintenance on a starfighter when an upperclassman named Lelutin decides to harass her. She goes off on him about the uselessness of the academy because she has not she has not bought into any of it at all. She ends up clubbing her harasser to death, we think, with a starship part. And then before she can be apprehended, she gets in her fighter and takes off, going AWOL in the most spectacular fashion. Upon attaining freedom, she swears to the universe that no one will ever tell her what to do ever again. Later down the road, we find Lorna working as a mercenary, disguised in Mandalorian armor for some reason, making some money doing underground pit fighting versus what seems like a werewolf. At the bar, she runs into her old boyfriend, Bala, the one who screwed her over and sold her to slavers, who doesn't know it's her because she's wearing a mask. Lots of masks in this book. He hires her to defend a spice shipment he's trying to get past the Nihil. They don't, though, and the Nihil attack the ship, and Lorna fights off the entire Nihil boarding party by herself, which is, I think, kind of crazy. This draws the attention of Pan Ita, the Tempest Runner, who comes aboard the ship and eventually captures her. On Aloth, while Bala is waiting for his spice shipment, a Nihil ship emerges from hyperspace and attacks. Bala assumes he's been, he's been betrayed by his mercenary that he hired, and he's right, but he learns that the mercenary was actually Lorna herself. Oh, shit. Lorna betrays all of Aloth, handing it to the Nihil, and extracts revenge on the man who killed her family. Lorna then swears herself to the storm. A while later, Lorna is out doing Nihil things, you know, like you do, including getting her teeth ground into points. She gets a message that she is to return to the Nihil home base for a party. She goes there. I think this is my first exposure to Wreckpunk. I haven't heard Wreckpunk before. I didn't hate it as much as you guys. 
she hangs out with Pan a little bit and then meets the eye, Asgar Roe, and his George McFly wannabe son, Martian. At this party, Asgar exposes one of his Tempest Runners as skimming off the top a little and being an all-around bad Nihil. And then when the guy freaks out to avoid execution, Lorna jumps on him and it sounds like she rips his throat out with her newly sharpened teeth. Something like that. She is named Tempest Runner on the spot and the rest of the Nihil chant her name. But note, she has jumped ahead a few steps. She has leapfrogged some people and they're not all going to be happy about that. Shortly after that, Lorna discovers that the attack on Asgard had been an orchestrated assassination attempt by her fellow Tempest Runners, including Pan, and that she had screwed the pooch by coming in and chomping on that dude. She throws in with the conspirators that believe Asgard Roe has taken too much power and has betrayed the Nihil Rule of Three, not to be confused with the Sith Rule of Two that we talked about two weeks ago and are going to talk about again in two weeks from now. And they are putting together their own Ides of March to get rid of their problem. Lorna then runs to Asgar and tells him this, hoping to form an alliance with the Eye, but the holo call goes poorly. He makes it very clear that the Eye doesn't need nobody, and Lorna realizes she's made a mistake and is thrown in on the wrong side of the fight. Later on, and then, okay, and then and then we cut again, and Asgar is dead. And apparently Lorna is the one who, like, finished him off. I, I, I was kind of tired when I wrote this, but they don't explain this in the book. So did they explain it elsewhere? I don't I don't remember who finished him off or how he died. I just know he's dead. The, the story just tells you he's dead. They don't give you any more details. And maybe it's something I'm supposed to know from another story. Maybe it is. I don't know. They have a conversation with the very ethereal sounding Martian who tells them he plans on stepping into his father's shoes. They watch the new eye give his first speech to the Nihil and realize that they are just back where they started. Okay, then all the stuff from High Republic Ways 1 and 2 happen <laughs> right now. All the stuff from Ways 1 and 2 happened right now, plus the first part of this book. Now we're back to the prison on the restitution. Lorna develops a relationship with one of the wardens of the prison, Wittick, something that creates suspicion amongst the other inmates. Shom also makes friends with another Twi'lek named Seston. Over lunch, Lorna slash Sal tells her, her new friend about her life as a slave. The prison is really run by an Ottigan female named Ola Hest, who spent 30 years working as an enforcer. For the huts. Lorna and Teja get into a tussle with Ola's most dangerous enforcer over a missing comlink, and Lorna gets her ass kicked and ends up in the infirmary where she is visited by Wittick. After she heals up, she is released back into the general population where she strikes an uneasy truce with Ola Hest. The restitution makes a stop for prisoners to do some heavy labor, helping restore a Nihil ravaged civilization on an unknown planet. And then it turns out that Laluton, the guy that she clobbered to death, so we thought, on Karita is still alive and is the local Republic emissary for the mission. And he sounds like he's being played by John Cena. Uh, while working on the planet, Lorna is like working with the binary load lifter and it like crashes down onto her or something crashes onto her. Uh, and she's unable to get out from under it. And she sends a friend for help. Like she's real messed up though. It's not like she's just trapped. Like she's like, it's played like she's dying. She's groaning a lot. There is more moaning and groaning in this book than the finals at women's Wimbledon. We'll talk about the growling. After her friend leaves, Laluton shows up, and he is shockingly real damn bitter about that time Lorna tried to kill him. Laluton. I never thought I'd see you again. You need to help me get out of here. Hmm. Thought about it, though. Thought about little else for years. Oh. It's crushing me. Yes, it does look painful. Do you know what else is painful? Having your skull fractured. Spending four months in the infirmary. He plans on turning her into the Jedi when pew, 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 he is gunned down by Tasia, who comes out of nowhere with a blaster. But Tasia isn't there to help either. Turns out she's in cahoots with the guy from the beginning of the book, the one that definitely wasn't Pan Eta. Turns out 
He's Pan Ata, and he's here for revenge for Lorna screwing him over at the end of Rising Storm. Lorna is shocked to see Pan. I was not. But that is two guys she thought was dead coming back to life in like a 24-hour span. So, or in like an hour, really. Um, Pan delivers some good old monologuing about revenge and tells a story about how he's still alive despite the poison ravaging his body. There are also some flashbacks in here back to the time between her leaving the Academy and her joining the Nihil. After a whole shit ton of reminiscing between the two, Lorna goes still and dies, at least Pan thinks, and Pan flips out, being denied his revenge. In his rage, he throws off the load lifter, which is a giant mistake because she totally wasn't dead, and she gets loose, gets the drop on him, and she, in a very grisly scene, rips out all the hoses and stuff out of his life support system. Seston arrives in a binary load lifter and pushes Pan into the logging pit, whatever that is, apparently killing him, but who the hell knows in this book, especially since they don't find his body. Back to the prison ship. Lorna wakes up in the infirmary again, beat up for her encounter with Pan, and Wittick is there again, talking to her like this is Goodwill hunting or something. He tries to get through to her, and it kind of works. She has sort of an emotional breakdown in this scene, but I'm still not sure about it. Like, is she acting or not? I don't know. You won't like it if you knew who I was. You can't be sure of that. You'll lock me up. You're already locked up. Or you'd send me away. Or I'll help you. If you let me, first step. Tell me. Tell me who you are. Tell me the name. Tell me who you are, really. Who am I? Cadet. My name is Sal. Unit 4978-7179. Cadet Arden, on your feet. Ah, is the little princess hurt? My name... Tell me the name. My name's Lorna D. And I really need your help. I guess not. She ends the scene pleading for Wittick's help, and I had to check to make sure I wasn't watching an after-school special about drugs. Lorna goes back to Gen Pop and is assigned doing maintenance on load lifters since she's good at fixing things. She gets mixed up in Ola's attempt to kill Quinn, who I haven't mentioned before because there's just so much, and I'm not going to go into it now, because I'm not sure why Quinn and Seston exist. I thought they were the same character half the time, but it puts her in conflict with Ola's thugs again, and she messes, but this time she messes them up and sends them to sickbay. Because of Lorna's kind of heroics, she tells Winnick that the power is starting to shift in the prison, away from Ola and towards Lorna, and she strikes a deal with Winnick to work together to improve the prison, to shape it into the hippie commune he wants it to be. She then tells Winnick what it's really like to be a Tempest runner. Kinda. She really doesn't. She, she tells him she's going to, and then she really doesn't. Later, Quinn comes to her and is like, hey, sorry I picked Tasia over you, but she's in a coma now. Can I be your friend? Then she figures out that Seston has been sent by Ola to murder Tasia using her children as leverage. So Lorna smashes her head against her own bed to injure herself so badly that she gets taken to sickbay. There she finds Seston holding a scalpel over the helpless Tasia. There are too many characters in this thing. They fight for the knife and instead of letting Seston ruin her life, Lorna kills Tasia herself, which is exactly the end of Seven. Just the end of the movie seven. And then they blame it back onto Ola and try to pawn it off on her. And this part just got way too convoluted and honestly very overwrought. Lorna gets put into isolation right next to Ola and they can talk to each other through the walls, which is terrible isolation. Now that everyone knows who Lorna is, the prison is called in the Jedi and they're on their way to get who they think is the Eye. Just then the ship gets attacked. Boy, that was lucky. And Lorna seems to go into a panic attack when she realizes the only person that could possibly be coming for her is Pan. Oh, they didn't find his body. 
Unfinished business. What business? Who are you talking about, Lorna? Pan. Pan Eta. I escaped him once, but I won't again. Not when he's on the hunt. It all turns into chaos and Pan's forces boarding the restitution, including with scavenger droids and a full on prison riot and a big old finale. I'm not going to go into it all. Lorna gets out of her cell, basically recruits all the women in the prison and Winnick to fight off Pan's storm and to kind of join hers. When it's all over, Ola's dead. The warden's dead. Quinn, for like a few minutes, becomes the greatest hacker in the galaxy. We learn that Winnick is dying, which we knew because he coughed once earlier. Lorna flat out murders Pan, shaking off any character development we've seen along the way. Lorna sends Seston and and then Lorna sends Seston in an escape pod to be rescued so she can see her kids, but mostly so she can spread some fake news about what went down on the restitution. And then we cut to a little bit later, somewhere in space, and Martian Rowe is trying to reassemble the Nihil, talking on the phone, I guess the holo, whatever, with one of his other Tempest runners when Lorna D cuts in on the call. Lorna! I don't understand! (laughs) Why am I not surprised? (laughs) Hello, Martian. Missed me? Tempest Runner, a ship is coming in! Is that her? The registry says it's a Republic prison ship. The Restitution. Tempest Runner, should we power the weapons? Of course not, Cloud Muglen. We are the Nihil. We do not fire on each other. I'm glad to hear it. Republic records said... Republic records said I was lost, but the Republic was wrong. I was nearly... (laughs) biding my time. She arrives in the Restitution, now renamed the Lorna D. After learning throughout the book that men ain't shit, Lorna shows up with her new all-female Tempest, completing her heroic journey... From badass Tempest Runner, all the way to badass Tempest Runner. But I have a Tempest, Zetar. A new Tempest. A strong Tempest. A Tempest who will follow me to the ends of the galaxy. Well, it seems to me that you have nothing. Neither of you. We should discuss that on my terms and on my ship. Your ship? This restitution? Oh, that's not her name. Storm Quinn, will you tell Marshan Rowe the name of this vessel? The Lorna D, Tempest Runner. That's right. The Lorna D. And don't you forget it. And don't you forget it. Question one. Why this book? Does it need to exist? Kevin Scott needed something to do. He's a very busy man. (laughs) I guess he felt like he needed more. I don't I I don't know. I know I sound cynical, but we talked about this. There's no she doesn't go anywhere. No, it's a it's a cyclical journey. My my one note. But actually, before you started talking, I had one note. Once you started talking, I had more notes. But my one (laughs) note going into tonight was at the end of the last big book, Panada is quote unquote dead. And Lorna D is a Tempest Runner who the Republic thinks is the Eye. At the end of this, mm-hmm. Panada is dead. Mm-hmm. And Lorna D is a Tempest Runner who the Republic thinks is the Eye. Where mm-hmm. have we gone? We have gone 
nowhere. <sighs> I think right. I think the purpose of it, they just wanted to flesh out Lorna D some more. They seem to be trying to say, and, and they say it at one point, that her journey is that she's not doing anything for anyone else ever again. That everything she's done, whether it was for the boyfriend or whether it was for Pan, that right. it was always like in service to them. And now she's going to do everything for her. The problem is we've never seen evidence of that in anything else. Right. Like in the last book, she very clearly was not beholden to anyone. Like she tries to take out Pan. That was the whole point. And, you know, they brought the point like she sharpened the teeth for other people to try to, you know, impress them and she'll never do anything like that again. But again, we've never seen that out of her character. So I did look. They do say she does stab Ascaro in this. In this? She finds him alone and then she stabs him and leaves him for that. Must have been real quick. I missed it. it I listened to it twice and I didn't catch that. (laughs) So... My biggest problem with the book isn't necessarily that she didn't change as much as it's a series of fake outs. Like there's a because of the the Winnet character who's like, like I said, he's like Robin Williams, a good will hunting, right? He's the good warden, right? The one that's going to get to her, you know, like there's so many times where she has breakdowns or she's like, I need help or where she seems to feel bad about stuff. And you get to the end of the book and it feels like none of that mattered. That none of the things that she goes through in prison, like as far as her breakthroughs or her her understanding, you know, her her reminiscing about her life and what a hard life she's had. It doesn't feel like any of those things in this story affected her one bit. Yeah. She just shakes it all off and goes, you know what? Nope. I'm Lorna D. I, you know, forget all this. I'm Lorna D. I'm, I'm, I'm who I was before. Well, her, her big thing at the end is no one's ever going to tell me what to do again. And I had completely forgotten that when she left her public school, she left her public school in her little fighter saying, no one's ever going to tell me what to do again. Yes. So how many times do you say that to yourself before you go, you know what? Life plan is not working out. Well, yeah, I think that's the idea is though. That's the promise she makes to herself. And then she doesn't, she Uh ends up falling, not, she ends up, you know, failing that. I I hate this. I hate using these words. This, this, I'm sure he worked, People worked very hard on this. The writer worked very hard on this. Actors, producers, all this stuff. It feels like filler. It doesn't advance the story of the High Republic one bit. And it it is a character study of Lorna D. And I understand that. But there are plenty of characters that we don't have character studies of. And I still don't know after listening to the story twice. I still don't know why she gets one. And we don't have something about Master Douglas Mm -hmm. or Loden Greystorm or Nine Nub or a million other characters out there. Why, why does Lorna D get, I understand why Afra got her own story and I understand why Dooku gets his own story. I don't understand why Lorna D is so blessed as to get a bio of Lorna D. I don't think she, I like her as a character in the, in the main books, but like, I don't know why we got this when there's so many other stories to tell. With a character study like this, at the end of it, you should feel different about the character in some way or have some sort of like insight, like, oh, okay, now I understand. And this I don't. I still feel the exact same way about Lorna D as I did before. And I like the character. That's not saying I don't yeah. like the character. But yeah. yeah, okay, now I know her backstory. So what? Is it trying to make her more sympathetic? Because the first thing we really see her do is betray her entire family. Right. 
<laughs> like chronologically, the first thing we see her do is betray her family. For spiders that poop spice. Exactly. Which has always been, to be fair, has always been what Glitter Stim is. It is. <laughs> but. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it, it's interesting when we're talking about an audio drama like this, because there's uh, other elements that we can talk about that we don't normally that we don't normally in a book, except for, you know, we reference the audiobooks every once in a while. What did you think of the acting? I mean, that's that's a fair question in something like this, right? What did you think of the acting? I didn't care for a lot of it. Uh, so, OK, so a lot of these were uh, were people who normally narrate audiobooks, but uh, some of them were not. I mean, Chris Glover, I don't know how they got him. <laughs> See, that was the guy I thought that sounded like Malkovich. And then his father sounded like Malcolm McDowell. Now, Ro, I liked Ro's voice. Yeah, I did. Not, like, I thought that was interesting. And I it kind of fit with, like, the character they've built up. Because they've always kind of treated him. Up until the end of the last book, when all of a sudden he screws them all over. That he's just kind of like this sniveling guy who just kind of got the paths from daddy and... And this kind of this frail weirdo. Yeah, I, I liked his voice. What did we think of the performance of Lorna? You're, you're leading into the grunting, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to wait till we got to Ola, what's her name? Oh, Ola Hest, who sounds like a weird old Southern lady. She sounds like Paula Dean. That's all <laughs> I can think of. The one I disliked the most was Tasia, because I guess for whatever reason, they just wanted to remind you that when she was there, so every once in a while, she'd go like, and like, why is she doing that? Like, stop. Yeah, I think this works better on the page. I think it would, too. I think it would, too. I think the structure is. Listen, we're all sophisticated readers, sophisticated movie watchers and consumers, especially consumers of Star Wars media. It was hard to keep track. It just was. I think it would have helped, you know, so it's broken up into seven, I forgot what they called them. It wasn't acts, but whatever it was. It's just parts. Parts that didn't, like within those parts, you would have jumping back and forth, back and forth. And there was no audio cue really that they had jumped. And it might have helped a little more if they had done more parts and had it jump in between each one. Because yeah, there were times I was like, wait, where are we again? Well, well each part has two narratives in it each right. section has a, a present day narrative and a past narrative and the and they're related right so mm -hmm. you know uh, they're related and they're not so w when you have pan when you have a uh, pan finally show up to the surprise of everyone that section is okay pan is telling her a story of what happened in the past and we get flashbacks like each one the, the flashbacks are all motivated within each chapter mm -hmm. they are they are given a reason to be they are you know, but it's it's like in Phasma where Phasma was one person kind of recounting the story to another person. This is eight people kind of recounting the story in parallel to other stories. But that doesn't always hold up because how would Jason Statham at the bar in the beginning, how would he know what the Jedi were up to? So that doesn't quite hold up. I think it's very easy to get lost in these audio dramas. Yeah. And if your mind, I mean, I will say this with this thing, if your mind wanders, for 15 seconds, I was lost. Yeah, that happened to me. Oh, no. During the prison riot, I lost track for two seconds to do something else and came back was like, uh, wait, what? Who? Wait, who's dead? Who's in charge? What's happening? <laughs> it turns into natural born killers there for the prison <laughs> riot. To start off that way to just when you're not familiar enough with the character voices yet, I think was a mistake to do it at the beginning where I don't know who's talking. 
You know, you keep cutting back and forth and I don't know who any of these people are. I guess my biggest disappointment in it, and it's not bad. I don't want to get across the fact that it's bad. It's not bad. My biggest disappointment in it, though, was that it didn't it didn't advance the story of the High Republic at all. It didn't give me a deeper understanding of how the Nihil work at all. We got more of them being space punks, you know, who are trying to backstab each other. We know they backstab each other. We've read the other books. Like, I don't know what new information I was supposed to get out of this other than the sordid details of the life of Lorna D. And they're not, and they're fine. I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with the sordid details of the life of Lorna D. They also weren't especially compelling. Mm-hmm. I, if they would have gave me more of the Asgar row, like right when she gets to the Nile, I'd have been much more interested. Well, yeah, they have that cut where she goes, uh, I'm going to tell you what it's like to be a Tempest runner. And it cuts to her getting her teeth sawed down. And you're like, that has nothing to do with being a Tempest <laughs> runner. I want to see training on what to do when you light a war cloud off. <laughs> like, I want to see her actually doing stuff as a mm-hmm. Tempest. We don't actually get that, right? Like, we get like, I'll tell you what it's like to be a Tempest runner. And it's all about the backstabbing and stuff. And that's fine. But they never really define. Yeah, you're right. They it's it, maybe they couldn't come up with a way to stage those things. Yeah. I don't know. It was it was very strange that like when when it cut to the back flashbacks of being a, when she was in the Nihil, Hill, they seem very small. Mm-hmm. You're not going to flash back to that Jedi you fought on Valo. You might want to tell that story. That one was pretty impressive. <laughs> but there are these moments in this story where it feels like she's going to like quit being a Nihil, you know, they, they, they give you these little teases of her regretting of her hurting all these things. And those can be true, but at the end of the day, you kind of, you, you're like, eh, but it's all bullshit. She's not going to change it all. You know, I, I mean, I like the idea that she has, you know, basically a women's prison as her new <laughs> storm. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like her rolling in with a women's prison, with a women's prison ship full of women prisoners yeah. that are going to be loyal to her to the death. I like that. I think they could have done a better job of showing that she has to go back to the Nile. Like, yeah, that would have narratively, I think, been better and probably would have saved too. She legitimately started to reform. And, you know, like you said in the opening, I don't think it was like, I don't think she was lying or anything like that. Like, I think those moments are genuine with her. I think it would have been more powerful if she decided to leave and then something happens and she knows she can't rather than, you know, making the choice to go back. Well, that would have been some development. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She jumps in feet first. She's just like, Oh, I got what I always wanted. I got a new storm. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things where you feel like, is that the whole story? She's just been waiting to find a new group of people. Is that the, what the entire tale is? Like, I, I will be the, I will admit the prison stuff got real old real fast to me. It wasn't that it was particularly bad. It was just, it was rote, you know, mm-hmm. it was just. Even at the end, if she hadn't gone back to being a Nile, like, all right, cool. You want to be a space pirate, you know, but maybe she decides I'm going to be a new kind of space pirate. First, we're going to go steal some paths. But right. they don't do that either. No, she just kind of shows up and like, I mean, I guess she wants to take over the Nihil or she just, I mean, that's the thing. I don't, I don't know what she wants. Do you know what she wants at the end of this book? It's just to just be back where she was. She wants to have no one ever tell her what to do again. And don't you forget it. I don't know. It just felt like I was excited for this. Now, we didn't listen to the Dr. Afro one because we heard it was terrible. Oh, I did. 
Oh, you did. You did listen to it. And yes. It was terrible. So Beth and I didn't listen to it because you told us it was terrible. Yes. Okay. No, and I'll say if Thanks, you Swift. haven't read Afra, it might be better. But I love Afra, so I probably won't touch it. Um, but we liked Jedi Lost a lot, mm-hmm. which was also by Kevin Scott, which actually jumped around in time some. But this felt like the the time jumps were a lot more frequent mm-hmm. and. I don't know, man. Like, I had a hard time keeping track of the characters. I really well, did. <laughs> I had, a, especially once they got to the prison and it's this whole motley crew, and then you got crazy eyes and you got. Tasia and Sestin. Tasia, Sestin. Quinn was very clear. I could always tell when Quinn was talking. See, Quinn and Sestin were the ones I kept getting confused. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Yeah. At least uh, Tasia had an accent. Well, you know it's Quinn. Because she mentions being a splicer eight bazillion times. <laughs> like It's like being it, a hacker in the 90s. It's just that easy. All you got to do is say you're doing something. And seven bajillion of those times are in the last like half hour. Yeah. And she says that one line over and over. And I can't <laughs> think of what it is now. But it's something like splicers always got a splice. And I'm like, oh, God, stop saying this. Once, once a slicer, always a slicer, I think it is. Is that what it is? Yeah. It's something just awful. And she just keeps saying it. Oh, I was just going to say, I think also that. Dooku and uh, Ventress were established characters that we cared about by the time yeah. we read Jedi Lost. I, I'm not that invested in Lorna D. Like, she's fine, but I'm not nearly as invested in her for her own audio drama as I was in Count Dooku and Ventress. I mean, there are major characters they've never done this with. I mean, I get you're pushing the character and, and maybe we'll find out that as she becomes the big bad in wave three, this was all part of the master plan. And I understand all that's possible, but right now reading it, it feels like the least consequential thing mm-hmm. that we've read from them. It reminds me of when we were talking, however many weeks ago that was, whether it was last episode or the one before where we were discussing whether or not this would end up being a central reading. And the answer is not right now. It ain't No. maybe in a year, maybe in two years. I mean, my guess is we're going to see more Quinn. And that's going to be about it. Yeah, we'll have the the characters. Her her gang will be. They'll be her her storm will be her storm in the next book, right? Like this is she'll be on this ship and she'll have all that. That will all be established, and that's fine. Um, it I don't think it's worth six hours of my time just to tell me that. I don't know. It's the first thing I've been like disappointed in with High Republic, so I'm not going to give him any crap for it. Mm-hmm. Like that's still a really good batting average. Well, it's not bad. I mean, it's not a bad book, and I don't want it to come off like we're saying this book is bad, but it's I, it's not up to the standards of what we've read or listened to from High Republic so far. I just don't know why it exists. That's the biggest question mark to me is why it, it, it is why it exists. Like, why not give Kevin a story? I mean, I know I'm biased there, <laughs> but there's original trilogy characters who who in Disney canon now have less of a backstory than. <laughs> Lorna D does. And, mm-hmm. and it, it felt like a lot of resources and a lot of actors and a lot of, a lot of effort put into this thing. I don't know the prison. I, I thought it was okay. And then I got to the prison and I got bored and I will say this going through it the second time. I liked it even less. Like I thought maybe I'd like it more cause I'd catch stuff, but I liked it less going through it the second time. I, I guess I didn't catch this in the other books too. And I, it, might have always been there. But I didn't realize that the Tempest Runners have secret identities. <laughs> like, 
I mean, I know Roe talks about his helmet all the time and they talk about him taking it off. But I guess I never thought that the other ones also like hide their identity all the time. Had they talked about the rule of three in the other books? I mean, we know there's always three because they replace. uh, Right. uh, What's his name from the first one? Um, Who's in this one? Yeah, the first the first pan. Yeah, I believe we called him Taserface in our review of the book. Mm hmm. If you're going to call the book Tempest Runner, show me what it's like to be a Tempest Runner. Because I'm interested in that. Like, show me more drama about having to run a cloud and a strike and, you know, how your little underlings are always trying to stab you in the back so they can be the new Tempest Runner. And give me a Rogue Squadron book, except it's about space pirates. Right. Break it down for me. You know, (laughs) like, like really, really explain to me how it works. I don't know who it was playing Wittick. It was probably Mark Thompson or somebody. Or Jonathan Davis. One of the Dan Bittner. Oh, was it? Okay. Not a a regular. Because I could see how square his jaw was just by listening (laughs) to it. It was so like, it was straight out of like a 90s psychiatrist movie. The one that got me is Pan's voice, who for (laughs) some reason reminded me of Sylvester Stallone. (laughs) <laughs> and it seemed to go more and more like Rocky style. <laughs> yeah. And he'd be like, oh, Lorna, you can't do that. I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to say we did it. <laughs> and like, <laughs> say, yeah, I'm not a bum. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was. Yeah, I can see the Stallone in there. <laughs> yeah. Do they really think we didn't know who it was at the beginning? I God, it was driving me nuts. Like, <laughs> and at least they revealed it by the end of. Section one, because if they had kept going on with it, I was oh, be no, that would have driven me crazy. Like when we talked the other week and you were like, do you know who it is yet? I was like, it took me a minute because I was like, wait, but it's Panada. That's obvious. <laughs> <laughs> but he's dead, Beth. But, he's dead. Remember so many people that she thinks are dead aren't dead. She's very terrible at killing people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she she needs to double tap. She's so scared of Pan in this. Like at the end when Pan shows up, it's like she's basically crying in her cell going, Pan's here to get me. And I'm like, is Pan really that much more powerful than her? You've killed him five times. You just suck she's, at killing. She just can't finish him off. But like she, there, there's that scene which I, I was I thought was remarkable where she wards off an entire Nihil boarding party by herself. Mm-hmm. So why is she scared of Pan? <laughs> she didn't seem real scared of Pan when she's. You know, watching him get electrocuted on the floor and then fake point, like giving him an antidote and all that stuff. Like, yeah, nothing like that was in the books. Like she's she's flat out terrified. She's like, we are going to die in here. You're like, I don't know. He seems kind of like a doofus and a dying doofus. And what did you think about the seven moment? I thought that was kind of weird. Like, who cares who kills her when when uh, when when what's her name? Uh, Oh, when when she's blackmailed her to go kill. Oh, right. When she kills Tasia. Yeah. And she goes in, she's like, I'll do it, you know, because uh, um, Seston is supposed to do it. And she does it to, like, protect Seston. She kills her instead. They're all a bunch of inmates. Who cares? Yeah, but Seston was getting out in like a month. Like, that should have been the big. Because, you know, they've got her kids. And so you've got to kill Tasia or Ola's going to kill Seston's kids. Right. And so she wants Seston to get home. And that should have been the big like character moment. Like that's right. when she decides to put someone else before or whatever. And she does. Yeah, she does in that moment. Yeah. That's what I think is like none of the character development sticks. Yeah. 
you know, the backstory stuff. Okay, we can we can file that under backstory. But the prison stuff, the what we would call them, the uh, the modern or the present time, present day storyline is the prison stuff, right? That stuff, yeah, it just feels like a bunch of false starts and and red herrings and character development that ends. She ends up just throwing away. And don't you forget it. Dial it down just a little bit, please. And for the end of wave two, it's just yeah. not a good end. It's just weird. Yeah, like out of the shadows, you know, if you count that as the end of wave two, yeah. that was a good ending. There's a big change. It sets up. You're ready for wave three. And this is just kind of there. Yeah, I don't I wouldn't even consider this. It's funny. I'm sure they do. I wouldn't even consider this part of wave two. You know, it's like or it is, but it's not like one of the to me, wave two did end with out of the shadows, you know? Yeah. And this is just kind of more material, which is fine and always welcome. If we were in normal times and we were just getting a Star Wars book, it'd be fine. I don't care who it is. More Star Wars books. But we're in the middle of like a big storytelling event. Oh, I thought you were going to mention the pandemic. And I was like, what's that no. with the pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about the High Republic. It's a big wave of things happening Besides pandemic, but Star Wars things happening. And if, if this were normal, just like if it had come out like Dooku Jedi Lost came out it just it was thrown in there. It's like, here's a treat. Star Wars nerds go to town. We probably would have been like, OK, thanks for the treat. But we're in the middle of the High Republic right now and we're gobbling up everything we can get on the High Republic. And this is not the piece we wanted. Does it change things if she turns on Roe? Like if the next book, all of a sudden, Roe tries to throw some wage around and she's like, oh, not anymore. Like, I guess. But like, I never felt like she was taking shit in the first place. Like you no. said. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not like her character flaw was that she was a doormat. Yeah. We never see Pan ordering around before. No. Sh- show me the part in any of the other books where she's a doormat. Like, no, she's always on fire. She's she's plotting. She's scheming. She's poisoning. She's fighting Jedi head to head, you know, and surviving. Even in this book, when is she a doormat? When she's a child, she's figuring out where the spice is and and plotting to take over her family's. Ah, but she does what her boyfriend wants Uh is the idea. I'm disappointed, but my disappointment will fade to apathy and that will fade to having forgotten it you know (laughs) like that like i'll edit this episode and then i'll probably forget that this ever existed i've already gotten my audible credit so (laughs) i'm I'm good don't do it too often or they will shut you down no i i don't do it very often but i tried for a while and they shut me down i'm not i'm not listening to this again so i'd rather get something i will listen to like maybe another darth bane book that was a smooth transition beth what are we reading next week uh, next time, we'll be back into the Darth Bane trilogy with Rule of Two by Drew Carpishan. Sure, that's not Rule of Three. All right. Well, thank you, guys. And uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us tonight. We will talk to you all again soon. And don't you forget it. <laughs> <laughs> You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at NeedlessThingsPodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh. And don't you forget it.